0: This episode of The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. You can visit them and sign up at charcoalbookclub.com. Last month's selection was A Small Guide to Home Ownership by Alejandro Cartagena, and I just received that the last few days, so I will be doing a little preview of that book on the Real Photo Show YouTube channel and IGTV at Real Photo Show. And this month's selection is Sorry for the War by Peter von Ochtmael, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. And as soon as I get that book, I'll do a preview of that as well. And of course, you can buy these books separately at the Charcoal Book Club, or you can become a member at charcoalbookclub.com. Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Hannah Kozak. Hannah is a photographer and a Hollywood stuntwoman, and we have an amazing conversation about her life and her work. And we're going to talk about her book, He Threw the Last Punch Too Hard, which is a story about reconciliation between Hannah and her mother. And I just want to give you a little heads up that this conversation does deal with domestic abuse. But before we get to the show, I actually have a few announcements. The JKC Gallery will open to some in-person visits. Of course, limited still until we're all vaccinated. But uh, this is pretty exciting. We're going to have our first show hanging on the wall since last March. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, that show will be by Heather Palasek, who... If you have been following along with our Third Thursdays, you know that Heather is one of the creators, along with Habib Suwab, of Third Thursdays, our virtual artist talk. So that's exciting. The show will run from March 1st through April 1st, and we have a reception both in-person and virtual on March 9th. It's actually going to be uh, two receptions, uh, one from 4 to 6 and the same uh, reception from 6 to 8. And we were taking reservations to have uh, up to nine people at a time in the gallery for those two openings. And they are full, but you can still register for the virtual part of the show. And we will do that over Zoom like we do third Thursdays. So we're really looking forward to having our doors open again with some hours. Uh, And if you go to jkcgallery.online, all one word, jkcgallery, there's details on how you might even visit the gallery. The other event, of course, is Third Thursdays with Heather Palasek and Habib Suab, And our guests for February 18th will be Zakia Woods and Shamir Racine. And you can find out more about that virtual talk at jkcgallery.online as well, and register there for our Zoom talk. All right, so again, my guest is Hannah Kozak. And Hanna has led a pretty interesting life as a stuntwoman, as a photographer. Her father was a Holocaust survivor who survived eight labor camps, and we talk about that work. But the majority of this conversation is about Hannah's book, He Threw the Last Punch Too Hard, which is a visual story about reconciliation and dealing with domestic abuse. And it centers around Hannah's relationship with her mother, who left her when she was very young and became involved in an abusive relationship, which Hannah witnessed. And we just have a, an amazing conversation about her life and this journey of forgiveness with her mother, and also Hana's belief in the power of photography to heal. So Hana's going to speak very personally and very honestly, uh, and it's just a, a great conversation. And let me just give a quick thank you to Ryan Casey, who is my frequent partner at the JKC Gallery. Uh, Ryan introduced me to Hana, and also Ryan is including Hana Kozak's work in a group show that... Ryan will be curating this summer, so stay tuned for that. All right, everyone, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon.
1: My name is Hannah Kozak, and I'm a photographer. I live in Los Angeles. Thank you for having me this morning.
0: Very interesting story, Hanna, And it's, a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before. But, you know, one of the things I'm very interested in is this whole intersection of, of your stunt work and, and your, your, your work in, in Hollywood and Los Angeles and, and your photography. And I, I, you know, I see a bunch of connections, which I, I'd like to get to at some point. But, you know, I think we should start with, you know, the, kind of the most exciting news for you right now. And that is you have a book.
1: I do. I have a book, um, He Threw the Last Punch Too Hard, is a project that I worked on for 10 years. If wow. We, and that's if we count the photography aspect of it. But really, it goes back to 1969 when my mother left my father for another man. Right. And, and my mother was, unfortunately in an abusive relationship with the second man. And in 1974, my mother ended up in in uh, emergency at UCLA hospital here in Los Angeles. And she received a blow to the head, which caused a stroke and she had permanent brain damage. Um, so really, although I've worked on the photo- photography for 10 years, um, I've really worked on this project about five decades because this project isn't something that I set out to do. It was my soul giving me no choice.
0: Right. So it was a a project that chose you in some ways. That's
1: in every way the project chose me.
0: And it's, I mean, it's quite a, a tragic and intense story you can understand why it would take decades to process and put together and, and make this work. And of course it it must be incredibly difficult to to not only, you know, go through this, but then also to share it, right? That's a, a whole other side of it, the idea of sharing it, right?
1: That's a whole separate topic that we could spend a lot of time on, but I th- I believe it was Maya Angela who said that there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Hmm. So as you mentioned, I didn't have a choice. Um, this was really something that my soul gave me no choice. And um, I think it was Margaret Burke White who said, if you saturate yourself with your subject, the camera will all but take you by the hand. And so... When I was 10 years old, going back to that time of my life, I decided that I was going to be a stunt woman. I was very scared of everything. I didn't like the feeling of fear owning me. So I didn't 100% know exactly what a stunt woman do, but I did, but I knew that I couldn't be scared or that I had to face fear every time I went to work. So I decided when I was that age, not only would I be a stunt woman, but that I would have that career and I would travel and I would have an education and I would have my own money. And it was very, uh, you know, Virginia Woolf. uh, you know, a woman needs her own space, a room of her own. And so that was basically the message that I gave my psyche. And I ended up, in the film business as a stuntwoman over 25 years, and it was on a a job here in Los Angeles where I was hired to jump out of a helicopter on on top of the tallest building, and I and I hit wrong. And oh no! I, and I broke both my feet on the first jump, and oh, they needed a second take, and so I jumped again, even though I knew I was in trouble. Wow! And then yeah. after the second take. The stunt coordinator said, uh, honey, have you got another one in you? And I had to, for the first time in my career, say, no, bud, I don't. I'm hurt. And that was a blow uh, because I had never been seriously injured before. And at that juncture, I had almost been doing stunts for two decades. So um, my mentor picked me up. And after she dropped me off at home and I was in bed, I was overwhelmed with emotion and I realized I need to heal my relationship with my mother. And so I embarked, I enrolled and embarked on a two year spiritual psychology program. Uh, And I knew that the curriculum included uh, in the second year, they say to you, what is the most difficult relationship you have in your life? The one that you feel you cannot mend. And that's what you work on. And that's what I worked on. For two years, and I actually did not start photographing my mother until a year and a half after I graduated.
0: In this program, is this an academic program or was this more of a a self-help kind of program?
1: Oh, no, this is a a two-year spiritual psychology master's degree. Oh,
0: okay. And during this program, did you have contact with your mother or was it really focused on you?
1: It was focused on me on creating a curriculum for myself on how was I going to start healing this relationship. And part of that was I had to go start seeing her, which was not easy for me.
0: Right. You write that it was only your youngest uh sibling, your youngest sister who visited your, your mother. She
1: was the only one who visited regularly. We all visited, but we all had a very hard time because... Mm. The place she was in was was really quite depressing.
0: This whole journey that you're on is, it's one where you're dealing with the the pain of of your mother abandoning you, and then being in this situation where she's in a an assisted living or a. Um...
1: She was placed in an assisted living, but I refer to it as the dungeon.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. And, and there's a lot of guilt. And anger, anger
1: and guilt Mm -hmm. and depression. And so when I would go see her, I would be enveloped with sadness and then depression when I would come home. And then when I didn't go see her because it was just too sad, then I was (laughs) overwhelmed with guilt. So then I came up with this brilliant plan to just stop going, Mm. which, of course, that doesn't work. But, and you, uh,
0: you, you connected getting into stunt work with this pain, was, it, was the stunt work putting yourself at risk, was that a, a, a kind of physical manifestation of, of dealing with this in a different way?
1: I think so. I think the stunt work was a way for me, uh, and, and of course, this wasn't conscious. Yeah. I, I have always enjoyed things that are very challenging. And I'm sure that's probably related to witnessing my mother's abuse, too. Mm-hmm. It was almost as if my nervous system was revved up. So, um, what was the question?
0: Oh, so I was just you know you you had made a, a connection with to the stunt work that led you into dealing with your mother, but getting into stunt work early on, you mentioned the idea of facing fear.
1: Yes. Yes every day I went to work. When my when my beeper went off, I had a, a, a visceral response to my beeper going off because I knew that meant, okay, today I'm going to do a high fall or a stair fall or a train fall or a car hit or a bike hit or a fire burn. And none of that is normal. Mm-hmm. So everything that we're taught as children, don't run out in the street, you know, be careful, look both ways. We have to do the opposite of that as stunt <laughs> right. people. We have to put ourselves in what? the line of danger.
0: You know, the um, we had a, a little conversa- pre-conversation. I, I did get to order your book. I just ordered it. And I I looked at some, what I could see online and it looks like the, the book is laid out in a, a almost there are family album qualities to it. Is that right?
1: Yes. My, um, my wonderful uh, photo edit- editor, uh, Regina Montfort, who um, came and stayed with me for four days from New York, she was really, I would say, the, the genius behind the ultimate uh, layout of that book she took approximately 600 images that I had edited from my thousands of images over 10 years. And she chose 51 images for the modern contemporary images. But then she brought in vintage images, which, Mm. and that's what gives the, uh, the book, the, the photo album look at the beginning. Oh, okay. And that was a team decision with my, Designer and my publisher, right. as well, and then we went. I went into my files, so we had archives as well. It was a bit of creative self interrogation.
0: <laughs> mm, I bet. Yes. Um, so. Um, and and there really is a, a focus on forgiveness with this work, right? Not only is there a focus
1: on it; it was the original title. Oh wow! The original title was forgiveness, and compassion. And once I achieved that, I knew that that working title no longer was appropriate for this book. So it just came to me one night that this is really a story about the aftermath of domestic violence and the reconciliation of a mother-daughter and there was a time where I, I couldn't go visit my mother. I didn't enjoy going to visit my mother. I stayed away from my mother. And now the simple act of being outside with my mother feels like an assertion of human freedom because of COVID. So um Oh wow. Yeah. I have to say that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Hmm. And um That wasn't a a decision I made. When I started to photograph my mother, it was really because my camera has always been the way that I navigate the world and it, and it gives me both connection and separation. So really the, the very early images of my mother, uh, there was so much disconnect in those, in those images because we didn't know each other. We just happened to be mother and daughter.
0: Right. And it took you seeing her in a, a different way as a as a person, not your mother in some ways.
1: That's exactly what it was. You can't right. love someone if you're judging them, right? So I right. had to start putting myself in her shoes. What was must have been like to have five children all one year apart, and my father was a Holocaust survivor. He survived eight Nazi forced labor camps. My father did not believe
0: I read in, that.
1: Yeah. Eight
0: camps. But,
1: well, actually, that's quite common. Being
0: when, moved around. When you,
1: were, uh, uh, when you were doing labor, because mm. they, they would just move the prisoners according to the, the needs that they had and where the prisoner would fit in. So he did not believe in any kind of help. No maids, no cooks. So there's my mother who was not domestic at home during the day and all night with five children all running around all one year apart. And I think basically she kind of started to lose her mind. So my father sent her to a therapist and the therapist said she needs to get out of the house. Mm. So she went to work in a hospital and that's where she met her second husband.
0: Who worked at the hospital? He was a
1: patient. Oh, he was a patient there. He had had an injury. So that's really how it began. And I started to photograph her December. I know the exact date, December 15th, 2009. And I kept photographing her for 10 years. But as part of that journey, I knew I'm going to publish into this into a book someday. I have to tell my mother's story. I need to share this because that's what we do as humans. And owning my story, forget about stunts. Owning my story was the bravest thing I ever did. It's much easier to stay in shame and hide it.
0: Mm. And, a,
1: and actually I did when I was little. When I was younger, I thought we, we have a very bad family. I come from a bad family, but that's not true. And that was part of what I learned in the spiritual psychology program, that that's part of growing up it is it means not controlling your emotions and being vulnerable, being vulnerable.
0: You know, I it, so two, in 2009, that was after you attended this, this two-year program, right?
1: A year and five months later, I started to photographer.
0: Uh But you start photographing uh, much earlier right oh i
1: started photographing when i was 10 years old
0: okay I, uh, you know, i'm looking at at your website and mm-hmm. are are your are your projects in a chronological order from bottom to top
1: no they're really more in the order when i started allowing them to be displayed on my oh, website
0: okay. what i wanted to bring up is you have a, a few bodies of work that take place in south america and and your yes. mother was from guatemala and did that start your connection to Central and South America?
1: My connection to Central America began with my first trip to Guatemala and I've been there since seven times. I'm very pulled there. And the thread with every one of my projects is uh, is injustice.
0: Well, you you have a particular focus on on women and children and the the underserved and the abused. I do. And and do you see that connecting to your life experience and your experience with your mother from early on?
1: I don't think, I don't think we, that I can do anything but something that's relatable to my soul's journey. Photography for me was never about uh, succeeding in any meaningful sense in the art world. Photography was about making photos because I had to making photos from almost from the time I could navigate what a camera was until and I'll make photos until the day I take my last breath. Mm. Photography is really the way I navigate the world. You know, and I believe that there's there are two types of photos. There's one that you make with the camera. And there's one you make with your heart. And I make all my photos. I don't take photos, I make photos.
0: And you you have uh, a few bodies of work that's on, well, it's just nudes on your website and then pain and loneliness Mm -hmm. uh, as well. Are these nudes done over different periods of your life or different years? Pain and
1: loneliness series started after my marriage ended and I had been going back and forth with my ex about a year. And then I started a stringent kundalini yoga practice to help with the emotions and the commotion because it triggered when the relationship ended, it triggered all my abandonment. So the self portrait series began with me photographing myself nude. And then I put them away, I think for 10 years because I thought I'm nude. What am I going to do with these? And then another relationship went South that triggered my abandonment again. And, um, I think it was in 2014. So, oh my God, I shot, hmm. I photographed those original oh. images in 2000. So
0: 2014, you won the the Julia Margaret Cameron Award for female I, photographer of the <laughs> year.
1: I did for those yeah. images, which were really just my psychological uh, way of dealing with with a lot of. A lot of trauma.
0: Well, that, and I bring that up, you know, the idea of these being over different periods of your life or different years, because that that's another form of of sharing your vulnerability, right?
1: It is. And um, I learned that uh, we can't heal what we don't reveal. Mm. and And being willing to be rejected, I think, is part of what it takes to really be authentic and... No, it was never easy for me to share images of myself, particularly uh, nudes. But then I started studying nude photography and nudes in general in the art world. And, you know, I, I there's a big difference between naked, which is accidental and perhaps shameful, and nudes, which are intentional and
0: purposeful. And in the work uh, Solitude, are you wearing... A hospital bracelet in some of those photos. Yes. Okay. A, a, another way of, of sharing a, a period in your life.
1: Just I had been in the hospital for whatever reason, and I just left whatever was on me on me. I didn't. Oh, okay. Want, I, I I really wanted the photos just to be as um, authentic as possible.
0: Right. Yeah. And so there's there's that, and there's lines and scars and. Mm-hmm. You know, like just showing, showing your skin and, and showing, you know, the, the, the pain in life, right?
1: That's what it is. And I think it, uh, Plato wrote a dialogue about, you know, what is courage? And courage really is a, a certain endurance of the soul or, or wise endurance. It's, it's like strength in the face of knowledge of what is really to be feared and then acting on that truth. Mm-hmm. In- instead of, like I said before, being shame based, we can't heal anything when we're filled with shame.
0: Right. And so when do you, so you, you, your, your father, Saul, gives you a, a brownie camera when you're 10. When does it become, you know, photography become a more purposeful, you know, uh, endeavor for you?
1: Photography was always a purposeful endeavor for me from the time I started to make photos. I organized them by month, day, and year, Mm. whatever the subject was. So I've always been uh, keenly needing to document to keep track of that documentation. Um, I've heard of photographers who have boxes and boxes and boxes of negatives that they just threw into a box that makes me cringe. I can't even fathom uh, being that disorganized. Uh, if you said to me right now, Hanna, you know, I, I, I see you you photographed Charlie's Angels in the seventies. I could go right to my <laughs> negatives and pull an image of Farrah Fawcett from nineteen seventy nine hmm. um, because I've always because it always has been so important to me. But as far as making photo essays. That did not start till December 2009, okay. Rough, roughly about 10 years.
0: Right. So did you go to school for photography, for art, for... I, I'm self-taught. Oh, okay. And and when... you know, So the photography starts very early when you're 10, and the, the stunt work starts when you're a young adult. Yes. Right?
1: I, I uh, got my first stunt job um, doing car hits in New York City with the director, Michael Cimino, and Christopher Walken was in that film, Year of the Dragon. Hmm. And that was, I was 24.
0: All right. And so uh, photography is just something that you carry with you. I do. W- with with whatever it is you're doing.
1: That's um, correct. That right, is correct.
0: Because, because then it, it gets onto the, the movie sets, right?
1: So I did a movie in 1986 called Suspect. And I was Cher's stunt double. Hmm. And I had asked the Stills photographer to make a photo of of Cher and I dressed in the same wardrobe and he did and he promised to send it to me and he never did. So oh. after that, I started bringing my own camera to work. It was a Nikon F4S with a Nikkor 50 millimeter 1.4 lens. I still have <laughs> it and uh, I still love it. And uh-huh. after that, I just had the camera with me and then I would hand it to someone and ask them, to make a photo of myself with whatever actress I was doubling. And then that way, I was in charge of my own negatives, and I never had to ask anybody again to send me a photo.
0: And I imagined being someone who's uh, someone's stunt double and work, and they see you, that you're working, and you're part of the movie. That also engenders a little trust, right? Allowing you to photograph people who might otherwise, might, you know, would not want to... Uh, be photographed by someone on the set, right? It
1: it was a different world back then in the Mm. 80s. I I could just walk around, you know, a David Lynch movie. Uh, I did a a David Lynch movie with Isabella Rossellini and Nicolas Cage, uh, Wild at Heart. And it was a different world then. There wasn't so much, first of all, photography is ubiquitous now. It wasn't then. So having the camera on the set, was really no big deal. Now, to bring a camera on set with film? Uh, No, it's not okay. (laughs) But we are in a different world now. Sure. Yeah, I just walked around. But because I had been a photographer my whole life, basically, I'm not getting up in people's faces and in their space. They don't even know I'm making photos. That's the key.
0: Do you still do... Uh, movie still on set work?
1: I do actually I'm a non-union stills photographer I'd like to do more of that work I work in the film business as uh, a key location manager but I do do also non-union stills I oh, still okay. I love it
0: And are you still doing film is it all digital now?
1: Uh, I do a combination my favorite camera is my uh, Rolleiflex 2.8 <laughs> F it has a planar lens it was made in germany uh, it's as old as me and there's a there's a very particular look to that lens that cannot be duplicated with any camera out there i also love my holga it's the antithesis huh. of digital sure. <laughs> i love yeah. i've done some of my favorite photos not only of my mother but the project where i went to retrace my father's footsteps, and I ended up going mm. to 18 camps in Poland and Germany and the Czech Republic.
0: That was Survivor, My Father's Ghosts, right?
1: Correct. And that was a show at the Los Angeles Museum of the Holocaust uh, two years ago for three months. And some of my favorite photos are made with film cameras. Uh, mm-hmm. My Holga, my, my Rolleiflex. I also, like I said, have the Nikon F4S. But I also shoot digital. There's a time and a place for digital, shooting stills on movie sets, for example. Um, I'm in the Fuji film world. I broke up with Canon about five years ago. Uh, <laughs> we're not friends anymore. Uh, there's just no reason to go back there. The Fuji is just, the, I like the weight of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I picked up that X-T1, I was actually uh, on my way to Poland. And uh, it feels like an analog camera.
0: It does. It does. I I, I occasionally use the X100 series, which just Uh, feels like a little Leica. Yeah, Right, like a little Leica.
1: (laughs) And so in answer to your question, both. Both. And one is not better than the other.
0: I feel the same way.
1: They're different. Mm -hmm. Although for the series on the camps that I went to for my father. The first time I went to Poland, I photographed with my digital camera, which at that time was a Canon 5D Mark II, Mm. I I believe. Um, And the photos did not have the layers, uh, did not have the texture, did not have the depth, did not have the grain that I needed to give them a
0: war-torn Europe look, if you will. Well, the, the the work you have on your site, there's just five uh, images on there. They Those they look are, like
1: those are me going back and made with my Roloflex. That's
0: what it looks like. It looks like Rolie images. Yep. That's
1: correct. And uh, yeah, you yeah. you can see the Rolie look because you also, as someone who understands photography, there's a very particular look. First of all, it's square format. Second but, of all... Yeah. <laughs> That the look of that planar lens. Yes,
0: it's, it's that lens. It's
1: delicious, yeah, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. When when you were making this work, and and I'm sorry that I don't know this. Is is your father still with you?
1: My father died on Christmas, 2012.
0: Hmm.
1: T- Ten days later, I booked my first trip to Poland.
0: Oh, okay. So this work was made after your father passed.
1: I had start. No, I had started photographing my father, but. The series ended up being the camps.
0: Right. Did he know uh, that you were planning on doing this, on visiting the camps?
1: He kept telling me to tell his story. Okay. Uh, It became another uh, project that would take up, that one took up about eight years of my life. So I was either in Poland or Germany or the Czech Republic working on that while simultaneously working on the project on my, on my mother while simultaneously working on a project that I call searching for Michael Jackson, uh, which I have not released yet into a book. I need a publisher on that, but Hmm. um, another project about injustice and the criminality aimed at Michael Jackson. One of the original victims of uh, the injustice uh, aimed towards African
0: Americans hmm. in this country. So Wait, that that work is not on your website, right? It is not.
1: It's right. on my it's on my blog.
0: Oh yes, and you also have a blog. I was going to bring that up, but before we get uh, uh, move away from this, uh, my uh-huh. father's ghosts. How many camps did you visit? Was it the eight camps?
1: Oh no, I ended up going to
0: eighteen. Oh, 18. Okay.
1: I wanted to fully flesh out the project, um, and I felt that. I think it was Dion Arbus said that the more personal you make something, the more universal it is. So instead of it just being a project about my father, it's also it's a dialogue about the Holocaust and
0: and you're in it, right? You put yourself in those some of those photos. Right?
1: I'm in it. I don't I don't know how to make work without me being in it because it's part of me. It's it's just part of me, and right. I. I think it was Robert Frank, the photographer, who said, "You know, there's one thing the photograph mu- photograph must contain: the humanity of the moment." And I don't know how how to how to make work without me being there. It's 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 me. Right. It's a and, part of
0: me. And in connecting this, because you know, telling your father's story, uh, putting yourself in there, of course, makes sense. But were there other elements? that made it more personal to your father? uh, Were you able to find symbolism and imagery? And and I don't know if you included any sort of archival or family images in there as well. I did. Oh, okay.
1: I actually went back to my father's hometown multiple times. And I, on the second trip, I brought a family photo that he had of his, some of his siblings and they were all killed during the war. And uh, I photographed that in front of the river where he used to play as a little boy.
0: Oh, and, okay. And
1: my hand.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, you just reminded me in, in, in talking about telling someone else's story in your family as well as your own story. In the, in the story about your mother and, and your relationship with your mother and uh, he threw the last punch too hard, are you also telling a story with your siblings in that work?
1: Well, when you get the book, uh you will you'll be able to read my essay, which I also mm-hmm. worked on that for a long time. The essay is my story because I can't speak for my siblings, but in order for me to tell this story, I do give a little background of my childhood with my siblings. So, everyone is welcome to tell their own story. This is my
0: story. Right. And it's one of the more more difficult parts of telling a family story, of course, is how your family receives it. What kind of conversations or, or feedback oh, have so you Oh, so I can
1: tell you that when I flew to Guatemala for a writer's workshop with Ho, um, Joyce Maynard, where I studied with Joyce, and also I met Hope Edelman there, who ended up being the uh, text editor on my essay, I asked Joyce that exact question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said it's the number one question she gets, <laughs> which is, How do I write about my family? And her answer, which I never forgot, was write like you're an orphan.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) Well,
1: because if you don't write like you're an orphan, you're going to lie and you're going to cover and you're going to try to protect. And in doing so, readers now are highly intelligent Mm -hmm. and they, they know when you're leaving stuff out. So right. it's it's pointless. You know, creative work is not self-indulgent and foolhardy. It's it's not pointless or trivial or trivial. It's really crucial if we're going to heal this and inspire others to heal that we tell the truth.
0: No, I, I agree completely. Right? I, yeah, so, no, I I completely agree. And you know, the, the other thing about that is no matter what you do in order to try to make it as accurate as possible, it's always going to feel like a lie to somebody else or a misremember, or right? Or, or you didn't get that right in that way, right? There's no way that right. the, all it's, of you are going to remember things the same way.
1: That's exactly right. And like I said, everybody's welcome to do their own project. Right. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, have at it. I like that. <laughs> um, I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, but really, in order to heal from the damage in, in, in our families, and help and reach out to others, I have to give very little value to somebody else's opinion of me. I feel that at this juncture in my development, I'm at the point I've gone past hurt, I'm going past healing, and now I'm at helping. Mm. That, that's what we do. We hurt, we heal, we help. If we don't do that, we can stay in addiction mode. That doesn't help anyone. And in fact, all that does is hurt ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that was part of my journey of enrolling in a two-year psychology program instead of working and earning money. It was more important to me to heal. And and look, going against the grain has always felt natural for me anyway, so...
0: (laughs) Well, how many how many stunt women were were working at the time you were doing it?
1: When I was uh, when I got into the stunts in the eighties, we all knew each other by by first name. Mm. It was there was really a handful of us who were making a living.
0: You know, as as your work progressed, and you know you, you got more and more comfortable telling your story and and personal stories, did you see a, a change in style in your photography?
1: Oh my goodness, yes.
0: Yeah, I I, could would, see it. <laughs> I yes.
1: In fact, I would say photographing my mother for ten years made me a better photographer. First of all, I probably went through ten different cameras in oh, that wow. in that ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely made me dig deeper as a photographer.
0: And I, I think, you know, at some point you start including a more impressionistic style as well. Right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. At the beginning, yeah. they were just pictures of my mother in a wheelchair. That's not uh, a way to tell a story that's going to be of interest to anybody. And so going back to the genius of my photo editor, Regina Monfort, who, by the way, worked for Richard Avedon and Irving Penn, not to name drop, but I'm name, <laughs> not, but I'm name dropping.
0: Um, well, come on, you worked with Charlie's <laughs> because, Angels. Because, because I should.
1: Right. right. Um, yes, you should be proud was, of the work proud, and the life. I'm proud of the book. I'm proud yeah. of something that I get emails and direct messages uh, from people that have felt that now I've given them permission to tell their story.
0: I can believe it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I want to make this is a little off topic, a little off <laughs> to okay. the side, but I'm looking at your flower photos, with, and are those made with the Holga?
1: Those were made with the Roloflex.
0: Oh, the Roloflex. Wow, because they definitely have a, a soft impressionism uh, uh-huh. to them. Painterly, definitely. And uh, you, you call it, we love flowers so much we kill them. And I, I tell my students <laughs> every year, you know, because students have a very romantic idea of flowers. Right. You know, and everybody comes from a tradition of giving flowers as a sign of romance. And I always say, you know, flowers are really just decapitated sex organs. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: That's a, that. That's a really funny, interesting way of putting it. Um, yeah. For me, you know, it was actually inspired by I would bring flowers to my mother to brighten her room because it, it's an aging facility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd bring the dead flowers back to my house because I didn't want to discard them in the trash because I'm a big recycling mm-hmm. person, and I wanted them to go back to the earth,
0: compost. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then I realized there was so much beauty in those flowers when I brought them to her. And then the flowers start to die. And I started the project because I wanted to explore the beauty in the flowers' deaths and to make very quiet, honest photos that had no sentimentality.
0: Mm-hmm. That's and, it. That's why I say that to my students. It's mm-hmm. to think about something in another way that doesn't come from nostalgia and sentimentality, mm-hmm. but a way of seeing things for what they are right now.
1: Exactly. Right? And then I started, of course, down the path of, uh, you know, death, because that's an, another thing that's been an obsession of mine since I was a little girl too, probably mm. because I'm a second generation Holocaust designer yes. and, I, and I started going down that. Why do we kill things we love? Why? Right. But we do. Yeah. And why, do, and why do we hurt things that we love? And we do. We shut our hearts down usually to the very people that hurt us. And, yep, the, uh, and I'm, the I'm guilty that, of it as well.
0: Sure, the, the people that have the ability to hurt us, the people that have the ability to know us.
1: Mm-hmm. But any, anyway, back to he threw the last punch yes. too hard. My goal was to show that it's not only possible to forgive someone for any wounding, but ho- hopefully to give someone the courage to leave an abusive relationship. And I was clearly deeply invested in photographing my mother for a decade. Her complexity still continues to beckon me. Oh. I, haven't, I haven't put the camera down and the book is published. So, you know, while I was photographing her, I just refused to avert my eyes from the truth of her condition, no matter how difficult it is to see, see for me and for ultimately sharing the photos. And then this way, someone's witness to her life and my photographs hopefully will make somebody pause and question, okay, what's going on in my life I need to look at. And now all these years later, my mother's my muse. I love being with her. She's present, she's present. She's childlike, uncomplaining. Totally forgiving, gracious, grateful, and kind. I'll share an antidote with you. They moved her in September to a different building on the same campus. And all of her stuffed animals went into a bag, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know they weren't sent up in a new in the new room. And she'd been in the new room six months. I was allowed into her room three weeks ago, only because her COVID, her roommate tested positive for COVID. Uh. So my mother was alone in her room. I was allowed in and I realized all her dolls are in a bag, in a closet. So I got a bookcase and it started removing each doll, each stuffed animal from the bag. And I showed it to her and her face lit up with each and every muñeca, which is Spanish for doll. And that's so beautiful to be around, you know, even though, my mother's life has felt like an emotional horror story to me at times. And I, and honestly, when I say I dreaded being indiscreet initially and invading my mother's privacy and my privacy, by the way, but it was the only way that I could tell this story. And I had to turn my soul inside out. And, you know, there were times I felt as if I was abusing my psyche by continuing to make these photos. But It was the only way I could accomplish what I did. I had to embrace my own loneliness. I had to, the experience certainly made me vulnerable and that's what it took to heal our relationship. So, I mean, in the essence, what I think we ended up using for the tagline is these photos tell my mother's story and mine, a story of isolation, of loneliness, abuse, connection, compassion, forgiveness, family, humanity, grace, joy, and above all, love. And publishing my book was a victory for my mother. And it's a victory for all women who've suffered abuse and could not or would not leave. So in the Jewish religion, the Talmud says, whoever saves one life saves the world entire so if my story, our story inspires one person to leave, I've done something with my life.
0: That's so beautiful. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to close out our, our conversation. I just, I just want to add, though, is there, the book is, the book is out. Um, what's the best way for people to get the book?
1: Thank you for asking that question. The very best way always to get a photography book because that's the world I'm in, that's what I can speak about, is directly from the artist, always. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always, always go to their website and mine is hannakozak.com backslash bookstore. You'll see a little three-minute video I created there to accompany my book. You can also go to, if you're in Germany, there's a wonderful little bookstore called Cafe Limits. Uh, my publisher's in France, if someone's in Germany, in, uh,
0: Oh, who's your it, publisher?
1: Photo Evidence. Nice. And and then if you must, if you must, <laughs> if there's nowhere else to go,
0: visit the beast. <laughs> go
1: to go to the beast. But look, does Jeff Bezos need any portion of my
0: <laughs> no. my
1: work? No, he doesn't. <laughs> no. So I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Okay.
0: I agree. The, I I went to your website directly to your website.
1: Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. And yes. but yeah, go to Photo Evidence if you're in France or or Europe or Cafe Limits. And he's in Cologne, Germany. And I really believe we must keep these. Oh, and PhotoEye here in Santa Fe.
0: Oh fantastic. Photo the, Eye all, is just they, they, great. you know the,
1: the gods of, of all bookstores. Yes. Um yes. we must shop at these bookstores. Because if we keep shopping at the big A, there will yep. be nowhere else to shop at eventually. And we don't yes. want that.
0: I, um, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm working. And I'm able to, even if it's a bit more money, to go f- go to a bookstore rather than uh, Amazon. Yes.
1: Thank you. you. You've just won my heart. <laughs> 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 um, and, I, and I. again, I thank you.
0: Well, I thank you for, thank inviting you for this work.
1: Me, uh, do you know what the dates are of the show? at the?
0: Um... I, we haven't even mentioned that yet. Okay. Um, uh, I was introduced uh, to you through Ryan Casey, who's putting on a, sh- a show about trauma. Yes. And you are one of the fantastic artists in the show. And that will be on this summer. We'll definitely have more about that as we get closer. But yeah, also, thank <clears> you for being in the show.
1: It's an honor for me. And I thank you and I thank Ryan uh, for inviting me. And uh, I wanna leave you with, uh, my mother has always kept her dignity and she has always remained graceful even in her fall. And the path she's on is hers and it's hers alone. And she doesn't wanna be pitied. Mm. And I think that if it's in your calling, to create a body of work, it will keep calling you.
0: Well, that's just lovely. What a, what a pleasure to speak with you. And clearly, I'm mean, being self-taught, you are also incredibly well-read um, in, and steeped in photography. So it was a, a great joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. It was
1: a great joy to talk to you. It was a lovely way to spend 50 minutes. I enjoyed every moment. I, I'm honored that you want to hear my thoughts.
0: Ah oh, well, thank you very much.
1: And I love your, uh, I love your Mary Ellen Mark <laughs> hanging on the wall behind you. <laughs> thank big you. Excitement.
0: Yes, it gives me a, a piece to talk about with my students. I love so, it. All right. Well, thanks again.
1: Thank you very, very much, Michael. It was,
0: it was great. Oh, you're very welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin-Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.